ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Today we look at Worthy is the Lamb. We're back in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. As we enter the fifth chapter of the Revelation, it would be a good time for a little bit of review. Chapter 4, John is called up into heaven, and when he arrives there, he sees God himself sitting on a glorious throne. John sees heaven arrayed as a courtroom. God is preparing to unleash his wrath on the inhabitants of the earth. Now, in the midst of this awesome scene, we also see that heaven is filled with the praises of Jehovah. Heaven understands what the Lord is about to do, and the inhabitants of this city praise the Lord for his glory, his power, and for his creation. They're also acknowledging his right to judge the earth. It seems that John is taken to heaven to give him a heavenly perspective concerning what is about to happen on the earth. Now, this is most noteworthy because only God could do this. He is presenting to John a scene in heaven that is being displayed in the present tense, yet it is totally future tense. Only the God of the universe could ever do this, who is never governed, who is never constrained by time. Only he could do this very act. As we mentioned the last time we were in this chapter, it is still true. When the events of this earth are viewed from a purely earthly perspective, they cause fear, they cause doubt, they cause confusion. 
But when all the events of history are viewed from the eyes of heaven, everything makes sense. So chapter 4 ends with God receiving praise of his created ones and of his redeemed ones. Heaven throbs with the voices of those caught up in their love for Almighty God. Chapter 5 finds us in the same courtroom in heaven. Now praise has ceased for a moment and heavenly business is about to be transacted. We're going to have front row seats as it's acted out. We're about to find out that in heaven Jesus is the central figure. He's the center of attention. And I believe that heaven will be a glorious, wonderful place. I believe there's going to be streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, and more glory than you and I can ever imagine. I believe it's going to be a great place to see Abraham, Moses, Paul, and the rest. But the main attraction of heaven is going to be and will be Christ himself. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus himself in his rightful place, glorified and exalted in heaven. This passage sets the stage for the judgments that will come during the tribulation. It also reveals Christ in his exalted glory. Thus, we call today's message, Worthy is the Lamb. Verse 1, we see a mysterious scroll. As the chapter begins, God is said to be holding a book. Now, this is not a book like you and I may think of, of holding. It's actually a scroll. Paper was made in long sheets, and as it was written on, it would be rolled up. A portion would be written, and then it would be rolled up and sealed. Another portion would be written, and then that portion would be rolled up and sealed. This scroll God holds has seven seals on it. This is a mysterious scroll, and we can unravel this mystery just a bit. First, we see the character of the scroll, and as we read these verses, we see that character become more clear. First, it has something to do with man, according to verses 2 through 4. Second, it has something to do with the earth. In Revelation chapter 6, the seals of this scroll began to be opened, and the contents of the scroll are read. When they are, they reveal what will happen on the earth during the tribulation period. Third, it seems that this scroll has something to do with redemption. When Jesus takes this scroll, he is praised for his redemptive work in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. This is a book of redemption. Redemption is something we talk a lot about. It's an important truth. Understanding redemption is vital to understanding God's great plan for the ages. For everything he does and has ever done is related to his redemptive work. Now to understand redemption, we must look back to the Old Testament times, for in that time period, three things could be redeemed. One, a slave could be redeemed. If a master lost a slave, he could pay a redemption price and buy that servant back. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus did when he came to down the cross for us. We have been bought with a price, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Secondly, a wife could be redeemed. If a woman was left as a widow with no male children, a close kinsman redeemer of her dead husband could redeem her and her husband's inheritance by paying a redemption price. This is seen in the book of Ruth when Boaz paid the price to redeem Ruth and her dead husband's inheritance. 
Jesus died on the cross to redeem a bride unto himself. Thus he became our kinsman redeemer. Third, land could be redeemed. If a man lost the land that he had been given as an inheritance, he could buy his property back by paying a redemption price. Now that truth is demonstrated in Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah's uncle had lost a piece of property. Jeremiah's cousin comes to him when he is in prison and he asks Jeremiah to buy the property back in verse 8 of chapter 32. Jeremiah does this and records the transaction on a scroll and then he seals it up. Now from what I've read... They would record the information related to the redemption on both sides of the scroll. On the inside, they would write the reason the land was forfeited. On the outside, they would write the terms of the redemption. Apparently, they kept two copies of this transaction. One was open to the public for all to read, and another copy was kept sealed up, according to Jeremiah 32, verses 10 and 11. These scrolls were laid up in the temple in earthen jars for safekeeping. Now, Jeremiah serves the function as a kinsman redeemer for the property that belonged to his uncle. What we're witnessing here in chapter 5 of Revelation is the heavenly version of what men did in the Old Testament times. If you'll notice, the book God Holds is written on both sides. It is written up and sealed just like a deed. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die for us. He also died for a ruined creation, according to Romans 8, 22 and 23. I believe this scroll that we see here in Revelation 5 is the title deed to the planet Earth. When man sinned in Eden, sin entered this universe. Man fell that day and God's creation came under a tragic curse. We'll never know the full extent to which sin has ruined this creation. But we do know that when Adam fell, Creation fell also. Here's the problem. When God made man and placed him in the Garden of Eden, God gave man dominion over all of creation. Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. When man fell, he gave away his dominion, and Satan became the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. When God sent Jesus Christ to redeem mankind of the cross, the blood of Christ redeemed fallen sinners. But it was and is also sufficient to break the bondage of sin over creation. The last Adam bought back everything that the first Adam gave away. So this scroll in the hand of God is written within and without, and on the inside of this tragic story of sin, tragedy, death, failure, and defeat, on the outside are the terms of redemption. If we could read these terms, we could find that the Redeemer must be one who is willing to redeem and one who is worthy to redeem. Verses 2 through 4, we see a meticulous search. That is a little information regarding the character and the content of this mysterious scroll John saw in the hand of God. Now, the next few verses, this scroll is front and center in heaven as a search is made for one who is worthy to break the seals and to read the contents of the scroll. Verse 2, we see the requirements of this search. An angel asks uh, the all-important question, who is worthy to open the book? 
And the question is this, who is morally fit to read the text of this scroll and to carry out all that is necessary to redeem the earth? Notice that the angel did not say who is willing to open the scroll. There would have been men down through the ages that would be more than willing, but they would not be able. More than one ruler has determined that he would have dominion over the earth. Alexander the Great conquered the known world by the time he was 33 and wept because there were no more lands to conquer. He did not redeem the world. He left it worse than he found it. Before him, Nebuchadnezzar saw himself as the greatest ruler ever. He was not worthy to take dominion either. Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, Charlemagne, Adolf Hitler, and scores of others were more than willing to have dominion over the earth, but they were not worthy. Soon the world will see the rise of a demonically charged madman called the Antichrist, and he will come far closer than any mortal man to ruling the world, but in the end he will merely ruin the world. He too will prove that he is unworthy to possess the title deed to this planet and to rule over all. Thank God there is one who is worthy to take the book and to open its seals. In verse 3, a search is made throughout the universe for one man who is worthy to take the book and open it up. They searched heaven above, hell beneath, and earth in between. They could find no one worthy to take the book. There was no saint in heaven, not Abraham, Moses, David, or Paul found worthy. Gabriel, Michael, and all the angelic hosts were not worthy to take that book. No one living on the earth, no king, no president, no ruler, no billionaire, no politician, no scientist, no preacher. No one was found worthy to take the book. No one in hell, no demon, no doom sinner, not even Satan himself was worthy to take that book. They searched high and low, but no man was found who was worthy to look upon the book that rested in the hand of Almighty God. Verse 4, when the results of that search were made public, something happens in heaven that was probably never happened before since. John burst into tears. Now there are two words used for weeping in the New Testament. One is used in John eleven thirty five, 35, where the Bible says Jesus wept. That word refers to silent weeping. Jesus stood there at the tomb of his friend and he wept in silence. The other word is used when Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke 19.41. That word refers to uncontrollable sobbing. It's the kind of crying that a small child does when his little heart is broken. It's the kind of weeping you see when someone loses a loved one unexpectedly. It's open and unabashed weeping. It's the same word used of John's weeping in this verse. John is in heaven and he is weeping out loud because no one is worthy to open the book or even to look upon it. Why is John weeping? John knows what that book represents. He knows that if no one can open the book, creation is doomed to feel the effects of sin for all eternity. John's tears represent the tears of all humanity since fell in Eden. My friend John weeps for us all. But wait, all is not lost. Verses 5 through 7, we see not only a mysterious scroll and the meticulous search, but we have a magnificent Savior. In these verses, we're going to meet the one who's worthy to take that book, 
to look on that book and to open the book. John is weeping, but one of the elders come to him and gives him some very encouraging news. He tells John to wipe his eyes, stop his crying, because while no mere man is worthy, one has been discovered who is. Notice the words of the elder. Weep not, behold. And then he points John to Jesus. That is the message the church has been preaching for 2,000 years. Weep not, behold. Regardless of the problem, Christ is the solution. Weep not, look to Christ. He'll meet your need. What a Savior. Verse 5, we see a conquering lion. The elder tells John, that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. When John hears the title, Lion of the tribe of Judah, he immediately knows that the elder is referring to the Messiah. In Genesis 49, 8 through 10, the Jews are promised that a great ruler will arise out of Judah. Like a lion, he will be powerful, strong, brave, majestic. He'll be a mighty conqueror. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would throw off the yoke of their oppressors and give them liberty. They were looking for a great military leader to lead them to victory over their enemies. This person is also called the Root of David. The title reflects both the humanity and the deity of the Messiah who was to come. He would raise up a withered branch of the line of David and bring it to power once again. That, my friend, is the human side of the Messiah. But he was also the power behind the throne. The Messiah was the root out of which David sprang. So he was a king, and he was the king of kings. When Jesus came to this world claiming to be the Messiah, he did not fulfill the expectations of the Jewish people. Instead of delivering the Jews from their bondage in a great military victory and establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, Jesus went around healing and preaching and performing miracles, and as a result, the Jews rejected him and their Messiah and crucified the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. When John hears of Jesus in heaven, he is described as a mighty lion and as a king and as king of kings. And John is told that this lion has prevailed. So Jesus is described as a conquering lion. Verse 6, when John turns around to see this mighty conquering lion, he sees a lamb as it has been slain. The word lamb means a little lamb, a pet lamb. When John looked, he expected to see a great and powerful lion. And what he saw instead was a little pet lamb. Of course, this scene is wrapped up in Jewish symbolism. This image of the little lamb, we're reminded of the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12, the people of Israel were instructed to select a perfect lamb, one without blemish, one without spot. They were to take that lamb into their home, nourish it, and care for it for a number of days. During that time, you know what happened? That little lamb became a pet lamb to that family. Then on the prescribed day, they were to take that lamb, kill it, apply the blood to the doorpost of their home, roast its little body, and to eat it. When the people did this, they were promised that they would be spared when the Lord came to judge the Egyptians. 
Don't you know it broke the hearts of that little family to kill that pet lamb? In that dead little lamb, the Israelites were given a powerful picture of what the Lord was going to do someday through the Redeemer he was going to send to the world. Just as that family would kill that pet lamb, God would judge his darling son on Calvary's cross. Oh, how it must have broken the father's heart to send his son into the world filled with people who would hate him, reject him, and crucify him. How it must have broken the heart of the father to judge the son in the place of sinners. But it was on the cross that heaven won the greatest victory of all time in eternity. We're told that the lion and the lamb hath prevailed. And this word means to carry off the victory. Just because Jesus is a lamb does not mean he's weak. Jesus carried off the victory at every possible turn. He carried the victory off on the Mount of Temptation. Satan thought Jesus would fall. He carried off the victory at the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan thought Jesus would fail. He carried off the victory on the cross. Satan thought Jesus was a fool. He carried off the victory when he rose from the dead. Satan thought Jesus was finished. Satan thought that he had defeated Jesus when he died on the cross. Hell must have celebrated as the broken, bleeding body of Jesus was removed from that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. For three days, the demons and devils of hell must have caveated all in glee as they celebrated what they thought was a victory for Satan over the Lord Jesus Christ. What Satan thought was his greatest victory was, in fact, his greatest defeat. The cross was God's greatest accomplishment, for in that cross God displayed more power and glory than he did in creation. When Jesus cried, it is finished, it was a far greater achievement than when he said, let there be light. Jesus is called lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. Satan, the lamb's enemy, is described as a great red dragon in Revelation chapter 12. Satan's power is described as massive. He masses a great human army, a great demonic army, all intentions of defeating God. Heaven's response to this vast display of infernal power is to send a little lamb. When a nation chooses a symbol, they usually choose an animal that suggests power and authority. The lion is a great powerful symbol and presently of Great Britain. The bear is a symbol of Russia. The eagle is a symbol of the United States of America. But my friend, when heaven looked for a symbol, it chose a slain lamb, a symbol of meekness, submission, and gentleness. Jesus Christ conquered Satan's kingdom not by military might, but by meanness and compassion and love and submission. So a little pet lamb won the victory. And because of that, he is worthy to take the book. Verse 7, that lamb takes the book out of the hand of God, and when he does, heaven breaks out in an anthem of praise. Heaven knows that Jesus Christ and what he's about to do as the lamb, and he's about to deliver the earth and all of creation from the bondage of Satan and from the blight of sin, he is about to complete his redemptive work. The lamb is worthy to take the book, to open the seals, and if this scroll really is the title deed of the planet earth, what right does he have to open it? Well, there are at least three different reasons why he has the right. Number one, the world is his by right of creation. He made it. Number two, the world is his by right of Calvary. He redeemed it. Number three, the world is his by right of conquest. He 
will retake it. And one day in glory, the Lamb will take that seven-sealed scroll out of the hand of the Father. And when he does, it'll signal the beginning of the end for sin and for Satan and the blight of sin. And it's all going to be over because Christ is on the throne. And on that day, Christ will receive the glory that has been denied by the world for so long. He will be shown to be worthy of worship, worthy to be ruling, and worthy to reign over all creation. He has earned that right because he squared off against all of hell, and he carried off the victory. Christ is the winner. He is the Lord. He is God. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org. And let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.